Church. I'm so glad you're carving out some time uh, to gather with us around uh, God's Word. And so this morning we're continuing uh, in our series uh, called Out of the Shadows. We're paying careful attention um, to both our spiritual lives uh, and our emotional health because we know in order for one to thrive and flourish, we also have to take care uh, of the other. And so today we're going to talk around and about uh, rejection. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 13. We're going to read that in a moment. It's a Psalm of David. Uh, But I want us to think about David's life uh, for a moment because I I think it uh, has something to say to us uh, around the area uh, of rejection. So David's story is one that is highlighted uh, in the scriptures uh, quite a bit. Uh, Not only uh, is David talked about uh, in in Samuel and Kings and and, in different historical books, but David also is a, a poet. He's this warrior, poet, king. And in Psalm 13, we're going to read here in a moment, it is, it is one where David is kind of pouring out his heart to God. And so David is very well known uh, in the biblical narrative. Uh, the story of David and Goliath is one that we're aware of, whether you are a part of church or, or not. It's just known even culturally. The sort of stories of David and Goliath are told around different sporting events, different moments where the the underdog is is facing this sort of large, large foe. But I I want us to consider David's story for a moment. Uh, And if you want to read the text along with this, I'd invite you to do that. You could look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, 17, and 18. And I'm also going to highlight something from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. You can go and kind of see those narratives as they play out. But I want to use that as a frame for us this morning as we're getting started. You see, David, at, at this time in his life, he's a young boy and he's tending the sheep of his father, Jesse. Uh, he's uh, one of eight of Jesse's sons. And so there's a moment in, in David's life and in the life of, of his family that is very, very significant. The prophet Samuel comes to town. Now, up till this point, Um, King Saul has been leading the people of Israel. God has put him in place, but Saul has made some decisions and his life is losing the grace, the the juice, the the anointing of God is no longer on Saul. And now God is going to anoint another king, another leader of his people. And so Jesse is preparing to receive the prophet of God, Samuel, in his house. And so best we could understand, this is probably the 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 biggest sort of event that may have ever happened at Jesse's house. I I can't imagine there would have been a a greater visitation um, to his home in that time, in that season, other uh, than Samuel coming uh, to the house. And so I don't know if your house is anything like mine, but whenever we have guests coming over, uh, Nicole shifts into this sort of different mode. We've all got positions and stations that we are manning and covering because we wanna make sure we get the house ready um, to receive our guests, um, we, we're kind of everybody's on their on their mark, and, and so I, I, I kind of pictured this this narrative happening the same with Jesse's house. I can't imagine him getting on to the boys. He begins to sort of yell them, "Hey, straighten up! Uh, make sure your clothes are uh, adjusted. Make sure you, you look right. We we got Samuel coming to town, and we want to make sure everything goes well." And so when Samuel comes in, Jesse begins to present all of his sons to the prophet, hoping that one of these might be what he's looking for. And at each time, it's interesting how the narrative talks where God is saying to sort of Samuel, like, no, that's not the one. Uh, I, I know that you think he looks like a king. I know you, you think he's got sort of that exterior presence 
about him. Oh, you think that's the one? Okay, no, no, that, that's not it. What I want us to key in on is at no point does Jesse think something or someone is missing. It isn't until Samuel brings up the fact that, hey, it's none of these guys that are your son. Do you have any more kids around that we might not be aware of? And then there's this moment of like, oh, well, I mean, there's there's David, but he's just in the backyard taking care of sheep. And Samuel says, no, nah, go, and, go and get the boy. And so David comes in and he, he is anointed by the prophet. But what I want us to see in this moment is that is a type of rejection that David is dealing with in his own home. He's rejected by his father. His father doesn't even consider him important enough to be in the house when guests or company come. Later on in the story, you see David going out to bring some provision to three of his brothers that are on the battlefield. You've got this Philistine character, Goliath, is out there, and he's cursing the God of Israel and the people of God, and he is out there taunting, flaunting his ability, and he is making a mockery of God uh, and God's people. And they're perplexed because both, one, they're, they're sort of indignant about what he's saying, but they also don't have the courage or the wherewithal to go and do battle because they know that it will end in, in certain defeat. So David goes out there and he's bringing them lunch, and David just gets this sort of holy, you know, just angst about him. And he's like, hey, this isn't right. Like this guy's saying this stuff. He's like, we're not having any of this. He says, I'm going to go out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of, of, of this guy. I'm going to go and fight this person. What I want you to see is, is in this narrative, when David's bringing lunch to his brothers, they were in the house and they saw David get anointed by Samuel. And even after seeing that, after seeing that encounter, they still don't see him as anything more than their little brother. David deals with rejection from his dad. He deals with rejection from his siblings. He deals with rejection after this from King Saul. Saul would have been a hero to the people of God and certainly would have been somebody that David not only knew about, but was very, very aware of. There's a part in David's narrative and David's story where Saul's tormented by evil spirits and he calls for David, the shepherd boy, to play his song, to, to begin to minister to him by way of music. And the Bible says that when David would play, the spirit in Saul would subside. So David goes to Saul and he says, hey, I'm going to do battle with Goliath. And the first thing that Saul does is he puts on his armor, Saul's armor, on David. This is another type of rejection that David is facing. His dad's rejecting him. His brothers are rejecting him. Saul is saying to him, you have, you have the desire, but I just don't see it on you, kid. You need to make sure that you are dressed in battle, and the way that you dress for battle can't look like what you look like right now. This isn't enough. You think about the rejection that David faces early in his life. And for me, it is very, very easy then to see why and how David begins to make decisions later on in his life when he is king the way that he does. Because the reality is this, if you and I do not take care of our soul and our heart and get some healing for the rejection that we have, have in, encountered early on, Later on in life, we will begin making decisions from that broken place. 
So to me, it's not hard for my mind to see and understand why David makes the decision that he makes with Bathsheba early in his, in his rule as king. When you've been rejected for so long and people have told you no and you're not good enough, when you get to a place where now you begin to start get the fanfare, you begin to get the praise, the accolades, and now can't nobody tell you nothing and nobody's gonna tell you no, David begins to lean into that and he's living his life as a response from the rejection that he's faced rather than from a place of healing, allowing God to minister to those things. Now, as we see David as kind of a frame for this, what I want us to, to take note of is that rejection is going to feel incredibly real. Rejection is hard. We all go through it. We've all experienced it. Rejection is hard. It is a very real emotion. There are times when you are rejected by people. There are times when you have been abandoned by people. That feeling is both real, it's troublesome, it's hard to get through, it's an ache that will remain. But what I don't want us to do is confuse loss with a rejection from God. I don't want us to see where people may reject us and then we interpret that as God has rejected us because oftentimes it happens when we look at Psalm 13. This is exactly what David is saying. He's in a situation and what he's doing is allowing his emotions to override what he knows to be true. Listen to the honesty of his prayer, Psalm 13, verse one. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? forever. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Church, let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word to us. And Lord, we pray today, Lord, that you would speak to us. The places that we have been rejected and abandoned, Lord, would you minister to us? By way of your Holy Spirit, encourage us, lift us up, bring healing to us. God, we're grateful for all that you're doing in and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. David starts this passage off with a series of questions. Four times he says, how long? God, how long am I going to feel this way? How long am I going to continue going through this, this season of, of feeling dismayed, or rejected? Maybe you're in a place just like that today where you've been wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? How long do I have to be, do I have to be here? When I, when I think about David and I think about his writing, the, the honesty in which he communicates with God is something for us to, um, is to, to emulate. The, the questions are powerful. I think you and I would be better served if we asked these types of honest questions in our prayers. God, how, how long? 
God, what are you doing? God, where, where are you? But I want us to see the rhythm that, that David takes in this psalm because oftentimes the psalms for us are a window into the spirituality of another, but it is also an invitation for us to, to use this prayer, to use this offering as, as one that can be a, a model for us. And David is very, very honest with his emotions. He's honest in his questioning. He's honest in his request. But what he finds assurance in is not necessarily the solution in the moment. He's learned the ability to draw on what God has done in the past, how God has been faithful. Verse 5, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has been, he's been good to me. He's dealt with me very, very generously. You see, for us, not only should we live a life that is asking the honest questions from our heart to God, but we also at the same time need to respond sometimes to our own questions with the faithfulness of God and how he has demonstrated that to us throughout the generations. We talk about rejection and we think about this. I, I think there's an important thought that I just want to make sure that we have kind of settled in, in place. And, and that is, is sometimes you and I are going to do the right thing and things are going to go wrong. You see, if we're not careful, what we do is we will begin to attach. If something goes wrong in our life, somehow God is punishing us or God is dealing with us or this is a sense of rejection from God to us. And I just want us to, to stop that for a moment and, and be able to, to take full view of there are moments where you can do right and the wrong thing happens. Some of you right now have lived through divorces where this was the case. You wanted desperately for the marriage to work. You wanted for it to be, to be fixed and repaired and you wanted resolve to take place, but that was not the decision the other person made. And here you are now living in a space. And if you're not careful, you'll embrace the thoughts and the words of others and you'll allow it to become rejection in your heart. And I just want to say that a season and a time where we feel like we're being abandoned and we feel like we're in a place of rejection, this actually may be a season that God is using to prune us, that God is using to develop us. Some of you may have heard of this, this phrase or this idea of a, of a dark night of the soul. See, sometimes, friends, you, you and I, we... We misdiagnose and we misdefine the activity that's actually going on in our life. You see, there's sometimes where early on in your stages of faith, where you're beginning to kind of follow Jesus, you, you get into these rhythms and you, you, it feels like God's answering like all your prayers. Like you just, I mean, you wake up and you, you just pray and then like, God just responds and it's just, man, it's just happening quick. And man, you pull in the parking lot and there's no parking spaces. And you're like, God, give me a parking space. Next thing you know, boom, right up front, parking space. And you're like, yes, thank you, Jesus, you're here. And it seems like everything falls into place kind of early on in your walk with God. I hate to break this to you. You're not special. <laughs> That's kind of how it is with everyone. But when there's this maturity that happens, Here's what we're not prepared for. And here's what, what we might not have been told. That there are moments and there are seasons as we are maturing in our faith 
those sweet moments won't taste as sweet anymore. And what God's using is this sort of withdrawal to get us to actually lean in more and to begin to get us to a place where we're dependent upon God. Spiritual writer, St. John of the Cross talks about this, a dark night of the soul. And here's how he describes this journey. He says, there's basically three phases. He says, you have your, your beginners, you have the, the times when you're in progression, your progressives, and then you have um, the perfect phase. So you're, you're beginning, there's progress, and then you're at a place where you're, you're, you're perfecting sort of your faith. And he says, to move out of the beginning stage, to move out of that place where it seems like God's answering everything and, and to move into a maturity, here's what he says. He says that God gives us this gift of the dark night. He gives us this moment so that in the ordinary way we grow in Christ, this failure to understand what God's doing, this failure to understand that God is wanting to bring us into maturity by sometimes withholding the sweetness of his, uh, the sweet feeling we would get. So I'm always, I'm always nervous when people begin to talk a lot about feeling God, or they're, they're driven by their emotions in worship, or they're driven by their emotions in their discipleship and following of God. Here's why I'm nervous. Because I know one, I know two things to be true. One, this is showing probably a sign and a level of immaturity in your faith. And because here's the other thing I know, you're going to get to a point where the Lord desires to mature you. And now you're going to get to a place where you don't get to rely on that emotional sensation any longer, where God's going to move you into a place of maturity. And here's what I found to be true. There are many people that are not prepared for that moment. And when they hit, when they hit that moment of sort of new and different, and it almost feels like their spiritual life has a dissidence in it, they're unable, they're unable to move into that new space and they actually begin retreating and they stay in this place of perpetual immaturity because they're not willing to allow the Lord to move them into this process. See, for us, this, this idea of a, of a dark night or, or as, as one author, Peter Scazzaro says this, he talks about it, us hitting sort of a wall. Some of you right now, you're, you're in a, a, a spiritual sort of hitting of a wall. And what you've been doing is you've been identifying this as God's rejecting you. And friends, I just want you to hear this. God's not rejecting you. God's actually drawing you into a deeper and a more mature relationship with him. You see, sometimes the rejection that we feel from other people, we end up, we end up translating that into how God is feeling and treating us. And so when we talk about it, we think about rejection. You can be rejected by man and be accepted by God. Those two things don't have to work together. And, and one, the, the approval or the rejection of man does not determine how God sees or how God feels about you, when we think about the dark night, this is a rewiring, if you will, a purging of our affections and our passions that we might delight in the love of God in a richer and a fuller way, that we would have a deeper communion with God, that we would get out of places where we're dependent upon how it feels. I know many people that, that come into worship environments and they are driven by how it feels. 
It's why sometimes people get frustrated. If we don't, if you don't sing the song I love, I can't worship. Or when you sing the song I love, all of a sudden God is in the room and this is a powerful, powerful moment. All that shows me is that one, you're driven by nostalgia and you're also driven by how it feels versus moving into a place where you are driven by the truth of who God is. I wanna walk you through some of the things that that St. John of the Cross would give us. He says that there's sometimes there's these seven sort of imperfections that are in us as beginners in our faith that God desires to to strengthen or or purify. One is is pride. So hear how this comes out. Pride. You have a tendency to, to condemn others and be impatient with their faults. Or you're very selective on who can teach you. Listen to me. One of the signs of immaturity in a Christian is that they can only receive instruction from a limited number of voices. A sign of maturity is where we can get to a place and we can hear the voice of the Father in a variety of teachers that can speak to us, that we are always in a posture to learn. Those of you that have kids, you know this, that there are sometimes your kids will say things and it will blow your mind. Why is that? Because even in the mouths of babes may be divine wisdom and truth. We want to be at a posture and place where we can receive from people. He says sometimes that the next one is that they're discontent with what God has has given them, that they never have enough learning. They're always reading even more books, trying to grow more and more and more. You've heard me say this before. Sometimes we want more revelation than we have obedience. That is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. Maybe the the third thing he says is that there's a taking of more, more pleasure in the spiritual blessings of God than of God himself Another way to see this in your your life, do you want God's hands or do you want God's heart? Do you want what God can do for you or do you want a relationship with God? You find yourself easily irritated, lacking just a, a peace or having little patience to wait on God. Some of you are just so uh, discontent in your time with God. That's a sign, not of maturity. Oh, I want more of God. Sometimes we say things like this. Oh, I want more of God. And what it sounds like is, God, you either do what I want you to now or I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna leave this place. What I want us to pay attention to is sometimes the things that we might have attributed to our growth and maturity may be signs and signals that we're still at an immature place. Spiritual gluttony, he talks about. He says that they resist the cross and they choose pleasures like children do. Spiritual envy, they feel unhappy when others do well spiritually. Always in a state of perpetual comparing. And then finally, he says this, that has to be sort of gotten out of us in this season of a dark night where God wants to move us from a beginner to a new phase and a deeper space with him that we run away from the hard things, that our aim is only spiritual sweetness and feelings. Listen to me, if you come into the house of God and you lift your hands in worship and you ask for more of God, you ask to be made like 
like, like Christ. You want to be, be found in the image of, of God. Understand then, you may be finding yourself headlong into a difficult season, and the difficult season may be the very thing that you prayed for, but you're upset because it doesn't feel like you thought it would. Listen to me, these seasons, I also want to be very, very clear on this. Going through sort of a dark night when God's taking you to this place of pruning and he's taking you to a place of of depth, this happens because you've hit a lid spiritually, not because you're still in sin. If you are still in sin, you are practicing sin. You, you You have awareness of God, but you are not pursuing God. You're not in a dark night. You're still in sin. You need, to, you need to get some forgiveness, some healing, and move into a place of Christian maturity and move into a place of growth. This, friends, is talking about those that are on the path to maturity and they're hitting a lid. This is kind of going to that next level, sometimes going to the next level, that, that leveling up in your spiritual life will not feel the way that you thought it would feel. It will not just be like, it won't feel like a birthday party. Sometimes it's going to feel more grueling and it's going to feel kind of like like running a a marathon and and doing some hard yards. I I just want us to to be aware of those things. And now if you have your scriptures, turn with me to John chapter 15. Because how do we deal with rejection? How do we deal with abandonment? How do we deal with this calling of, of a dark night? I think John's gospel gives us some beautiful, beautiful language for this. This is Jesus saying this in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch that cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and then thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, for us, when we're called sort of into this deeper place, what what God's calling us to is the same thing that he's saying back here in John chapter 15. I love that word abide. When you you look at it uh, in the the Greek, it it has a, a simple definition of remain. And so you'll see it even translated that way in some texts. Remain in me and I remain in you. That's a, that's a simple definition. We can get our, our, our arms around it, right? But there's also a little bit of a deeper context that, that I like it, where there's this sort of element of hospitality in it. And there's almost this sense of, of to stay at home or uh, I'll put it this way, come make yourself at home. 
And so Jesus, as he says this, he's saying to you and I, there's this invitation to us as followers and disciples. Hey, come make your home in me. Hey, come stay and sit a while. Come make yourself at home in me. Don't don't go anywhere. Stay a while. The hospitality in Jesus's words shows us that not only is the invitation real, but he is able to sustain us in that place. Friends, he's not inviting you and me to a meal that he hasn't prepared food for. And so we look at the text and we see this. I want you to see that that Jesus is not rejecting you, but Jesus is inviting you. There are going to be people in your life, past, present, and future, they will reject you. God is not rejecting you. God is giving you the invitation to come and remain, not just for a visit and then you leave. Come and make your home in Christ. I want you to write down a few things that we're going to pull out of this passage that's going to help us when we feel rejected by others to root ourselves and be planted, planted in the house of God and actually planted in God himself. The first one is this. The scripture says this in verse two, that fruitfulness leads to pruning. Just what we talked about here in the dark night of the soul, that's a byproduct of you being faithful and fruitful. The pruning seasons in your life be encouraged. They are not signs that God is frustrated with you, but they are signs that God actually has an expectancy that your fruitfulness is about to go into a new season where more will come from it. Fruitfulness leads to pruning. It's not comfortable to be pruned. It's a cutting away of things. Listen to me, you and I cannot mature in our relationship with Jesus if we are unwilling to allow him to prune us. The question to ask yourself in this moment is what areas in your life do you need to allow the Lord to prune away? What are the things he's been trying to get rid of, take away from you so that you could mature in your faith, but you've been resisting? Allow the Holy Spirit to not only bring that to your mind, but give you the strength to be able to to let God do that in your life. The next thing I want you to write down and, and catch hold of is this, is that fruitfulness is a byproduct of being with Christ. Fruitfulness in your spiritual life is not a byproduct of your talent and your skill and you being really, really good. Fruitfulness is seen as directly being connected to Christ. I'll say it this way. Don't mistake the green grass when it's just a bunch of weeds. You ever seen one of those yards where from far away, it looks really, really nice. It's green. It's well kept. But the closer you get to it, you see that it's not just like one type of grass. It's about three or four. And there's a whole bunch of those like clovers around that are really, really green, but it's not actually grass. Don't mistake the weeds for grass. You can actually have seasons of your life where you're successful, but it doesn't also equal fruitfulness. What I want in my life is not success. I want to be fruitful. And fruitfulness comes by being in Christ. Without being in Christ, I cannot produce the fruit that God has called me to. I can have success that might impress other people, 
but it's not the fruitfulness that God has called me to have. Three, the, the third thing I want you to grab hold of, you'll see this in verse seven, and the way I'll write it is this, is that the prayers hit different when you're remaining in Jesus. They just hit different. And the Bible says here that your prayers are going to be so in alignment with Jesus that you can ask for things and they'll be done. Now, here's the problem. Many of us will read a text like this and what we'll think immediately is, oh, man, I remain in Christ. I can ask what I want. Like he's a genie in a bottle that somehow me being in Christ means, hey, you're gonna do whatever I want you to do. And then we get frustrated when that doesn't happen. What this is actually speaking to is if you live in the house If you stay a while, if you remain, your prayers are going to conform to the heart of that house. What I want is for my prayers to sound like Jesus. I want them to be saturated with the scriptures. I want them to be saturated with with how Jesus is, that I want God's will and I'll do it God's way. I want that to be in my prayers. And then of course what I pray, I'm going to see it. Fulfilled, I'm gonna see it happening in my life. Many of us, we get stuck in patterns where we're praying things our way and we're hoping that it's God's will. When we have to be praying God's will and trusting and abiding in God's way. The fourth thing I want you to write is simply this, that abiding in his love, abiding in Jesus's love. You see this in the scriptures towards the end. Abiding in his love leads us to obedient lives that we will do what the Lord commands. We will do what the Bible says when we are abiding in him. Let me just give you a little bit of encouragement. If you've been trying to live for Jesus without living in Christ, you are going to fail time and time again. But if you'll find yourself at home in him, you'll be able to live a consistent life with Christ, even in the face of others rejecting you, Even in the face of abandonment that you might have felt in earlier seasons or even in current seasons of your life. Because if I remain in the house, my identity is shifted. When I remain in the house, I can hear the voice of Jesus saying to me, come and stay a while. I'm no longer concerned with the rejection of of maybe a father or brother's or a hero, when I think about David's life, there's this transition that happens where he operates out of this brokenness from his past to where he begins to get in a rhythm. And you read it in the Psalms, he gets in a rhythm where he just begins to get his heart in alignment with God. It doesn't take away his humanity, but it just has this posture of he's before the Lord, he's before the Lord, he's before the Lord. I want us to get to a place where that's the posture on our life as well. Friends, I just simply want to say this to you. If you have not found your home in Christ, today, this moment, is the time to do just that. There's a seat for you at the table. There is space for you in the house of God. The rejections that you might have been feeling from man is not the rejection of God, friend. He stands and he knocks and he calls and he desires that you would surrender your life to him. Come stay a while in the house of God. Come remain in him and see your life take on a fruitfulness. 
See your life begin to produce something beyond just success. See your life have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Friends, today is a moment to make that decision. If you want to make that decision for Jesus to be Lord of your life, to surrender your your heart and your life to him, please let us know. We'd love to walk alongside you. We'd love to help you as you make these steps in following him. And church, until we talk next time, we love you so much. Grace and peace, friends. Hey church, thank you so much again for tuning in uh, with us. Uh, If it's anything we can do uh, as you are taking uh, these steps with Jesus, as you're walking uh, this out, please let us know. Uh, We want to be a church that walks alongside you on each step that you uh, take. So you can reach out to us online and we'll get back with you. Uh, We're just here for you, uh, church. So uh, before you go, won't you receive this blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you and give you and all your relationships great, great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, see you guys next week.